0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Would you go with Albert Pujols here? No, I wouldn't. You sure? Why wouldn't you? Well, I guess you would. Why not? Bases loaded, lefty. One. Go for it. The first pitch outside. The bases are loaded for Albert Pujols. Albert hits it up to deep left. It is gone. It's a grand slam. 690 off the bench. Pujols, pinch hit, grand slam. Yeah, pinch hit. Yeah, go ahead, Danny. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com. I am not joined today by Matt Myers, who is on a well-deserved vacation. I'm actually going to give Matt a brief hard time here. Um, Matt has obviously worked for Major League Baseball for some time. He's been a baseball fan his entire life. He has somehow never in his whole life made it to Dodger Stadium, which I find to be personally offensive. I'm actually sitting here wearing a Brooklyn Dodgers t-shirt right now, and I'm very pleased to report that tonight on Friday, today's Friday, August 19th, Matt gets to go see Dodger Stadium in person. Against the Marlins, I'm actually quite jealous because there's no place in the world I'd rather be than Dodger Stadium. So a little silent golf clap. matt over here so i'm going to fly solo today there's a couple of things i want to get to and then we're going to be joined by kennedy landry kennedy is our rangers beat reporter you may have heard there's been some drama in texas over the last couple days they fired their manager they fired the head of their baseball operations department there is a lot happening and uh, kennedy is our expert and then after that of course i'm still going to get to a guy you should talk about a little bit more before we welcome on kennedy there's really two things i want to talk about the first is the Cardinals. So I was watching the Cardinals game yesterday. They beat the Rockies 13 to nothing. That in and of itself is not that impressive. I feel like myself and our great producer Alex here could probably, you know, do pretty well against the Rockies ourselves these days. But I was really fascinated by watching the quote unquote old guys. And I say that because I'm 40. So here's what happened yesterday. 40 year old Adam Wainwright threw seven shutout innings, 40 year old Yadier Molina threw out the only Rockies runner who foolishly tried to steal on him. And 42-year-old Albert Pujols had five RBIs, including a grand slam and an RBI single. And I don't know if you watch the game closely. He pinch hit in the third inning. It was already 6-0 St. Louis. They loaded the bases. or the a lefty pitcher on the mound. They send in Albert Pujols with the bases loaded in the third inning. It's like the most go-for-the-kill thing I think I've ever seen. And he hit a pinch hit. Grand Slam. Extremely cool moment. If you go back and watch the video, I highly recommend it. The Cardinals are the first team in Major League history to have a 40-year-old hit a Grand Slam and another 40-year-old throw at least seven shutout innings in the same game, according to Elias. As someone who has recently turned 40, I find that heartwarming. We can still do things, although I don't think I'm going to go hit any Grand Slams. As for the Cardinals, uh, they're doing something interesting. So they've won four in a row, they're up three on Milwaukee. They have the second easiest remaining schedule. And I was looking at the wins above replacement leaderboards. And if you look at baseball reference or if you look at Fangraphs, they will tell you the same story. Paul Goldschmidt, number one, Nolan Arenado, number two. That makes sense. They're both extremely great players. And I was thinking about this. Now, that does not guarantee that they will finish first and second in the MVP, although I do think Goldschmidt would win it if it ended today, if they do finish one, two in the MVP. Only times in the last 40 years the teammates have done so. It hasn't happened since 2000, when Jeff Kent and Barry Bonds did it with the Giants. 10 years previous, Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla did it with the Pirates. This could happen, and it could be the first time we've seen it in over 20 years. And I got to say, Brewer's kind of going in the wrong direction. The rest of the division is not great. I think the Cardinals are going to win that division, and in no small part because when they traded for Jordan Montgomery, he is allowed one earned run in three starts. Speaking of the Brewers, this is the other thing I wanted to talk about. What is happening with Josh Hader right now? So he was part of a trade to San Diego uh, that you maybe didn't notice as much as you should have because San Diego was doing a million other things. But if you were paying close attention, Josh Hader went into that trade kind of on a struggle, right? His last 10 games with Milwaukee, he allowed five homers, 15 hits, 13 runs, and then he got traded. He's only appeared in four games with San Diego in three weeks, and it's been kind of weird right? One of those games was on five days rest. He appeared in a game on August 9th against the Giants, allowed three walks and three runs, and then didn't pitch for eight days. And then last night, they're place facing Washington. You Darvish pitches great. It's 1-1 in the ninth inning. Darvish allows two men on and gets one out. Well, here comes Josh Hader, right? One out, runners on first and second. Josh Hader faces five guys. Here how it went. Hit by pitch a walk to push in the go-ahead run, a hard-hit sacrifice fly to push in the third run, a single, a line-out, 17 pitches, one swinging strike for a guy who was supposed to be the best closer in baseball. And I got to say, if you go back and look, there were some signs that this was coming. As I said, he struggled with Milwaukee to finish his time there. But if you look at his release point, it has really raised consistently some Vince's elite days. The ball is coming in at a different angle. I did not like that trade for either side when when it happened. I still don't like it for Milwaukee, and I'm liking it less and less for San Diego, unless they can figure out what's going on. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back to talk with Kennedy Landry about the state of the Texas Rangers.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
0: We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello, and you might have noticed there's some things happening in Texas this week, so I figured, well, we have to go call up Kennedy Landry, who is our Rangers beat reporter, uh, who is talking to us from Minnesota where the Rangers are. Kennedy, here's my first question. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) like (laughs) what what has the last week just been like in terms of not just one big move firing the manager and then also firing the longtime I forget what his title was now president of baseball ops or whatever in John Daniels um a whirlwind for you
1: yeah no um when I took over this beat last year I texted T.R. Sullivan and I said you just left me with a with a dumpster fire and uh (laughs) he he said he was too old for that so yeah I think I came in at the right time for him but for me it's been a big whirlwind of a week. I think that was a great word for it because um, I never, I didn't expect these two moves to happen, especially not mid-season, especially not on a random week in the middle of August, honestly.
0: Is it safe to say that it was uh, more surprising that John Daniels got fired than it was that Chris Woodward was fired?
1: Uh, absolutely, especially after John Daniels did most of the talking at the press yeah. conference after Chris <laughs> Woodward got fired. It was... Uh, yeah. it, it felt... We started saying around the the media contingent in DFW that it felt very Game of Thrones ish that he was just kind of he was he kind of took the fall for a lot of uh, the Woodward situation that was going on, and then less than 48 hours later, he followed him on out the door.
0: I saw a quote um, that Ray Davis, is the owner of the Rangers, said. Before the Monday press conference where where Daniels and Chris Young talked about letting go of Chris Woodward, he already knew at that point he was going to let John Daniels go. Is that is that your understanding? And if so, uh, like, yes. man, that puts John Daniels in a weird spot.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, th- I believe Ray Davis, the majority owner of the Rangers, uh, said this is something I've been contemplating for months. Sure. Um, he said when Chris Young and John Daniels came to him on Monday to say, hey, we're thinking... Of letting go chris woodward what do you think xyz uh ray said he already knew that he wanted to let go of john daniels but he didn't want the two to happen at the same time because he didn't want to conflate the two things ha- i guess he didn't want to connect the two um which i'm not sure i totally understand from you know from our standpoint as a media why not con- connect the two because if this is Woodward's failure. It's also Daniel's failure. Um, but he said he did not want the two to you know, be connected in that way.
0: From, from the outside, the popular narrative is that, well, they went out and they spent a lot of money last winter right on Seeger and Marcus Simeon and when you drop more than a half a billion dollars you expect to win right away and first of all I think that's an unfair characterization because you didn't spend 500 million dollars on 2022 for these guys you spent exactly them for like 17 combined seasons of Seeger and Simeon <laughs> uh, but but even so like I mean pretty much every preseason preview said hey the team will be better but the pitching is not very good they're they're not going to contend this year and so I haven't been able to figure out if like the the powers that be in Texas actually thought they would be good and are disappointed or didn't think they would win this year and understood that to be the truth, but didn't see the progress happening. Like which one of those is more true in your opinion?
1: It's probably the latter. I mean, again, I think this team is exactly who I would thought they would be personally. I mean, they, they had a lot of home runs. Seager and Simeon probably are not reaching the exact uh, peak that you would like them but there's been some progress across the field Adolis Garcia looks at least consistent this year Nathaniel Lowe is doing some things you've got some kids coming up in and making progress but again this team is exactly who I expected them to be and from talking to Ray Davis and even Chris Young and John Davis on Monday it's it was about hey it's the progress it's less about the wins and losses and they um, you know progress and the vibes I guess they felt I don't know if vibes is the right word but they felt like <laughs> things were just not um, things were not where they needed to be just in terms of everything preparation was something that was brought up a lot of the a lot of times in in the Chris Young and John Daniels press conference which again I'm not sure how much we even have to look at that now since Daniels is no longer here but um <laughs> a lot of it was you know the preparation pregame like things that it I don't want to say Chris Woodard lost the clubhouse, but it felt like he was so hands off at times. And so, you know, I'm going to let the guys do what they need to do to prepare that it kind of fell out of whack. And that is where, you know, you end up when you're 13 games under 500 in August.
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because in one area there really has been a big improvement, and that's that last year they got outscored by 190 runs, which is brutal. This year, as we speak, they've been outscored by three runs, right? So just in terms of that, like that is a massive step forward. And yet, the big thing that everybody keeps talking about is that they get killed in one-run games. So they're seven and 24 at the moment, and from my perspective, like it's not all luck, but I mean a lot of that is, you know, one bloopy hit here and there that loses you the game. Did you I mean since you watch this team much more closely than I do in those one-run games was there anything in Woodward's decision making where you're like oh this this maybe is why they're upset because he's not putting them in position to win these tight games?
1: I don't I mean obviously I think the manager does have some type of of sway over games especially when they're close like that but I just don't think he was he was working with a bullpen that was both taxed a lot of the time because the starters are never going deep and inexperienced too. I think you have, I think Dennis Santana was on the team last year. Brent Martin has three straight seasons in, in the big leagues. But other than that, you're kind of playing with uh, Matt Moore as, as your main relief guy and Garrett Richards was your long, was your long reliever. And he was DFA'd yesterday. So I just don't think Chris Woodward was really working with much. I I don't want to say that, but there was only so much that he could do. And I think this is when it comes back to the preparation they were talking about. I mean, Um, The fielding has not been great this year, even from Marcus Simeon, who is supposedly a gold glover. um, I think the outfield defense has been phenomenal for the most part. Uh, Adolis Garcia, like I said, looks consistent. Leone Taveras actually looks like a big leader this year. But the the infield pretty much all over is out of whack. And quite a few of those run one games probably happen with a a PFP here, uh, a scooped ball there, uh, and even a clutch hit somewhere up and down the line.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to to go back to the two big names in the infield there for a second, and Simeon and Seager. They both, especially Simeon, got off to kind of slowish starts, I guess, right? Like, I think Simeon went two months before he hit his first home run or thereabouts. But, you know, in the last, since, I guess, since the beginning of June, he's got 17 homers and an OPS of almost 800, which is really good. Uh, Seeger's probably going to hit 30 homers and he made an all-star team. Like, I feel like for the most part, after slow starts, those guys have kind of lived up to what you'd expect from them, right?
1: Right. From my point of view, yeah, I think Marcus' first home run was a grand slam on May 30th in Oakland. I remember that. And, and yeah, he's been really good since. And Corey is a phenomenal at Glo- Globe Life Field, but apparently can't hit an American League uh, ballparks this year for some reason I don't know but uh, yeah they they do both kind of they're doing what I've expected I think for the most part they've doing what what Ray Davis probably expected and Chris Young I mean it's two guys are not going to make a baseball team and f- five hundred million dollars however much you want to say it is not going to win you a World Series
0: by the way, that's, that's the weirdest thing to me, is that Corey Seager <laughs> loves hitting in that park. I think when I looked it up the other day, 18 of his 26 homers were at home. And when the Dodgers won the World Series in 2020, and it was pretty much all played, the postseason was played in Texas, right. and he crushed the ball there. And that park has a reputation of being like a giant Walmart that's very difficult right. to hit. And <laughs>
1: right. yet
0: he loves it. Like, Have you talked to him about that ever?
1: Uh, yes. And all he said was, it's a really great visual for me. Uh, so, I guess the the batter's eye is phenomenal at Globe Life Field. I don't know what the engineers did out there, but it was made for Corey Seager.
0: So, like, what's next? Like, obviously, they've got an interim manager in Tony Beasley, Chris Young, who, you know, well respected, obviously, but is sort of thrust into this job where I, I think he didn't expect this to happen this soon. Like, what does this franchise look like in six months?
1: I think that's also why the Daniels move comes as a bit of a shock to me because talking to Chris Young yesterday, which he w- he was very shocked by Ray Davis making the move to, to let go of Daniels. He he let Daniels know before he let Chris Young know. Um, so that was,
0: uh, he, w- he was
1: obviously very, very shocked. And when talking to him yesterday, he kept saying, you know, we're going to stay the course. The vision stays the same as if JD was here. And, you know, we're all here because of JD is what he said. And I think... I'm just not sure how much of a full course recorrection is going to happen in the next six months, eight months, whatever, uh going into 2023. Ray Davis said he wanted to give Chris Young a little bit of quote runway going into 2023, give him some some momentum as the general manager. But from our point of view, it seems like he has a little bit more work to do. I mean, now you uh, a job as the head of baseball operations that was two people is now one and it's solely his and I know there's an entire front office and entire baseball ops staff behind him but you know he was doing this job as a partnership for 18 months and now he's got to do it alone by himself and this is his first time in a front office so um, I think it's going to be it's going to be a learning experience for him as much as uh, anybody else honestly
0: I think the other aspect of this is if you look at their drafts the last couple of years, they weren't picking like high schoolers who are far away. They picked a couple of very, you know, you would think almost major league ready college picks in uh, Kumar Rocker this year and Jack Leiter last year. I actually want to ask you about each of those maybe later first. Um, I haven't seen him in person, so like I'm just looking at a stats page here, but he's kind of struggled a lot more than you'd think in double A this year and ERA over five and trouble throwing strikes. Uh, what's what's going on with him? Have you heard anything?
1: Uh, Talking to Chris Young about uh, Jack Leiter, obviously they challenged him by putting him in Double A right out of the gate. Chris Young said, "I mean, if we sent him down to to Hickory and High affiliate, I think he would have been in Frisco soon enough anyway." So he has been challenged a lot. I think he has struggled a lot more with throwing strikes than anybody would have expected. Obviously, command has always been an issue with him, but the the walks have been out of control. But since the Futures game where he threw a perfect inning, he's kind of righted the ship a little bit. Um, he's not giving up as many home runs. He is still walking quite a bit, but he's uh, striking out more, so that helps. I think he now has four or five straight starts with less than three runs uh, surrendered. So it's not been a great debut season for Jack Leiter, but I think he is kind of righting the ship hopefully to go into uh, this fall instructs in whatever he needs to do to hopefully maybe make an MLB debut next year.
0: And then Rocker hasn't pitched at all since he's been drafted. And I think I read they don't expect him to, which was a little bit of a surprise because before the draft, there was some thought like, oh, if he gets picked by a contender, maybe he's in the bullpen this summer. And uh, I guess they're not going to pitch him at all. Is that right?
1: Right. They're not uh, sending any of their pitchers out to an affiliate this year. They're just sending them. I think it just had to do with the timing of the draft and then Rookie ball's almost up anyway and all of this. So all the pitchers that were drafted this year are just going to go to Arizona, get onboarded, do all the paperwork necessary uh, just to get ready for fall instructs and see where it goes after that.
0: Kennedy, I, I bet you thought over the last week you'd have like a nice home series against the A's and go to Minnesota and just have a nice like Minnesota's beautiful this time <laughs> of year. Uh, I I hope that your upcoming week is maybe a little less eventful <laughs> than the past week. <laughs> Uh, but thank you so. yeah no thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us that's kennedy landry who is our rangers.com i guess texas rangers.com i'll show up the hockey team uh, beat reporter kennedy thanks so much
1: <laughs> awesome thank you so much
0: We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello, Matt Myers is on vacation. Our great thanks to Kennedy Landry for talking about the Rangers' wild times down there. As we do every week, I'm going to end by focusing on a guy you should know a little bit more about. And our guy today is from the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are maybe of the 30 teams, the team we talk about the least on the show. They're not the worst team, but the teams that are worse are generally more interesting kinds of worse. They are just sort of uh, like anonymous in the middle. We don't talk about them that often. And that's why I started to think their first baseman, Christian Walker, he's going to hit 35 home runs this year. He's going to win a gold glove, and nobody's going to pay attention to him, despite the fact he's been really good. He leads all first basemen with outs above average, got a 123 OPS plus, the 29 home runs at the moment. And if you look at the stack cast metrics, the expected weighted on base, so that looks at strikeouts, walks, and also the quality of contact. How hard do you hit it? How high do you hit it? etc. He's 13th right now. And it's not so much important what his expected weight on base number is so much as it is look at the guys around him. So he's 13th, right? Number 11 is Ronald Acuna. Number 12 is Kyle Schwerber. And of the group behind him, we're looking at Rafael Devers, Vlad Jr., Paul Goldschmidt, and Giancarlo Stan. He is crushing the ball. I generally don't like to say that guys who are underperforming these metrics fall into bad luck because I think that's lazy analysis. Except in his case, I think it might actually have been true. Got off to a terrible start. He's been great lately. He's actually got a really interesting backstory because he has been always stuck behind some great first baseman. This is why it's taken him a while to establish himself. Look at all the guys he's been stuck behind. He was drafted by the Orioles back in 2012. Well, this was at the time when Chris Davis was great. So he only got 13 plate appearances in 2014 and 15, none in 2016. Heading into the 2017 season, the Orioles cut him loose to make room for Richard Blyer. Now look at this trek for him over the next six weeks. Four days later, he was claimed by the Braves. Well, guess what? The Braves had Freddie Freeman playing first base. They cut him. Two weeks later, he was claimed by the Reds. Joey Votto lives in Cincinnati. Three weeks later, he was claimed by the Diamondbacks, who, at the time, had Paul Goldschmidt. So in 2017, he spends all year with Triple A Reno and wins the Pacific Coast League MVP, like, clearly a very good player, But also, Paul Goldschmidt's still there. So all he gets is a cup of coffee in September. 2018, spends a lot of the year in AAA again. Got into 37 major league games, but 29 of those are as a pinch hitter. You can't play first base when Paul Goldschmidt's your first baseman. His season actually ended with kind of tragedy. He got hit in the face by a Kenta Maeda pitch, broke his jaw, had surgery. Good news, though. Paul Goldschmidt gets traded that year to St. Louis. So in 2019 and 20, he finally gets a shot. 36 homers over those years 12% above average good defense but last year was pretty lousy as it was for the entire Arizona franchise Uh, he got oblique injuries he wasn't healthy 89 OPS plus this year got off to a really slow start but again The StatCast metric said, no, wait, this guy's been great, and he really has been lately. The reason I kind of want to talk about him as well is not just the list of guys he's been stuck behind, but if you look at the way he's become a really good first baseman, I thought his training regimen was cool. He trains during the offseason at the University of South Carolina. This is where he went to college. And like a lot of players, you know, he fields ground balls off of a pitching machine turned way up. But I also enjoyed this, sometimes... He fields knuckleballs to work on awkward bounces and uncomfortable angles, which I think is really interesting. I would love to watch a fielder try to field knuckleballs from 40 feet away. So Christian Walker, here's to you, someone we don't talk about that much on a team we don't focus on that much, but he's a really interesting player, and if the Diamondbacks are going to be good, he's going to be a big part of it. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.